Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 325, Plan B rejoins me on the show. Now, for those of you who don't know, Plan B is a pseudonymous quant who is famous for various models, mostly the S2F modeling approach. And so we're talking about whether the S2F model is actually still on track or whether it is not on track, because there's been some discussion about it recently, and the publicized target was this idea that if Bitcoin does not hit 100k by the end of 2021, the model would be invalidated. Now, Plan B and I get into that, as well as spelling out the differences in the different models that he talks about and uses the failure conditions for the model, and we also talk about his floor model and also his thoughts on the super cycle. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, swan.com, the easy way to accumulate Bitcoin while also learning about Bitcoin with various free resources like Inventing Bitcoin, 21 Lessons, and Why Bitcoin. So with Swan, you can start off with a lump sum purchase and then set up your Bitcoin savings plan. And so with your Bitcoin savings plan, that's an automated purchase that pulls the fiat from your bank account, purchases Bitcoin, and then you can auto withdraw that to your cold storage also. Now, if you're a high net worth individual or a company looking to stack, or perhaps you're invest- you're interested in purchasing inside your IRA, Swan Private can help you here. So swanprivate.com, you get a dedicated Bitcoin expert available for calls to walk you through setup and purchase and various other aspects of Bitcoin. So go to swan.com to sign up. Do you need fiat stablecoin liquidity or are you looking to earn some interest on your stablecoins? Lent at HODL HODL is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can do just this. You can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously using Bitcoin as collateral. So for those of you who want to avoid a capital gains event, this might be useful for you. If you need that fiat stablecoins and you still want to retain exposure to your Bitcoin, this is one way to do this. And so when you are doing it this way, you are still controlling one out of three keys and controlling collateral in escrow through that deal. Now, stablecoin holders can earn interest. You can set the terms and the APR for your deals. So if you're interested, go over to lend.hodlhodl.com. That's L-E-N-D.H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com. Bitcoin mining has become very popular this year, and for those of you who are not sure how to get started, compassmining.io are the place to go. With Compass, you can purchase an ASIC machine, have that shipped to a hosting facility that has been vetted by the team, and you then select a mining pool, you pay the hosting fees, and you are now receiving SATs. And this can be done without KYC also. So that's also a benefit for those of you interested in non-KYC stacking. If you're interested to have that machine shipped to your home, that's also possible if you're in the US with Compass at home. And they've also got a range of mining guides and material that you can get on their website. So go and get started. It's compassmining.io. And now on to the show with Plan B. Plan B, welcome back to the show. So Plan B, lots of things have happened since we last spoke and I thought it was time to get an update and uh, hear, hear from you uh, how things are going. I know there's been a lot of confusion around the different models that's going on and People are having this whole conversation about whether everything's on track or whether it's dead, it's over, or is it maybe it's not on track anymore. Um, maybe you want to just clarify for people, maybe for the newer listeners, what's the difference between the different models that you've put out? Yes. So um, 
the first model I, I published is uh, the stock to flow model, and I, I guess that's where uh, people know me from. That's that's uh, you know Plan B is stock to flow, etc. So so people are are, um, are 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 mentioning the stock to flow and 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 are uh, connecting everything I say to stock to flow. But in fact, um, I use three kinds of models and stock to flow. I and the stock to flow uh, cross asset model that that. Uh, that came later. Those are what I call fundamental models. They they try to um, yeah on a fu- fundamental level, not on a price level or, or or based on something else, but but based on some fundamental thing. Scarcity in this case uh, say something about the value of Bitcoin. So stock to flow is the uh, the center, the co- the core of all my modeling. That's that's true. But there are other models and. Uh, for example, the well-known technical uh, analysis models, which are price-driven, they're based on the Bitcoin price only. Maybe, maybe some volume data, but but I don't use that. Just, so, so for example, uh, an RSI, a relative strength index, would be a, a technical indicator, or a moving average. So, the 200-week moving average is is something that uh, I use a lot and tweet a lot about, and. Um, yeah, my favorite technical analysis uh, thing is my, my floor model that got a lot of attention lately as well because, uh, well, it nailed uh, three three of the, the last months uh, to, to the dot. But uh, it's, it's a bit a bit in trouble right now. We'll, we'll probably talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but that's a yeah, that's a floor model. And um, and the third kind of models that I use is uh, on chain. Um, models and and that's something ha- very specific for Bitcoin because Bitcoin has the blockchain and all the transactions are in there so everybody can um, yeah analyze all the transactions that that uh, and all the blocks that that come in every ten minutes and see if it's big uh, transactions or small transactions old uh, wallet selling or new wallet selling and uh, and those kind of patterns are very very interesting it takes a big computer. It takes a lot of uh, data analysis uh, skills to do it, but it's very exciting. And I must say, I spent most of my time, maybe eighty percent of my time, in that in that on-chain data analysis uh, area. Um, so yeah, I, I, I I'm an investor. I like models. I use all those uh, three kinds of models. Um, so a stock, to, a fundamental model, stock to flow, uh, for example, uh, the the technical models and uh, and on-chain models and uh, yeah and i think that that's where a bit of the confusion comes from uh, sometimes but uh, but yeah that's that's how it is i see yeah and so i think for people who get confused they think everything is just stock to flow um where maybe that's that's not true right so because you've got the different kinds of models and i guess in terms of what is public or out there it's probably fair to say you've put the most out there about stock-to-flow modeling because that's probably what you're yes. known for. That's your claim to fame, so to speak. Yeah. And your floor model obviously has been recently very popular amongst people out there. But I think the on-chain stuff, that's maybe a little bit more of a private thing you're doing, even though arguably, as you just mentioned, that's 80% of your time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Th- those are proprietary. The things you find in the on-chain stuff are so amazing and, and uh, so useful for for investing and trading that I'm constantly in a dilemma. Should I put it all out there like I did with the stock to flow or should I first use it and see if it's working and, uh, and maybe uh, yeah, deploy it in the market instead of uh, 
to publish yet. So yeah, I, I'd like to publish uh, later on some more about about the on-chain stuff. But uh, for now, it's 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 pretty uh, proprietary indeed. I indeed, see. yeah. And in many cases, it's like uh, as you if these things were to be published out there, well, then maybe everyone would. Uh, some, use it and price it in at that point and so i guess that's and obviously we've all had the convers- that that conversation about pricing in has been uh, a big one in years gone by maybe not as much nowadays um also i wanted to touch on one of your comments before we get into kind of are we on track off track uh you mentioned this idea that uh, price discovery on the open market and it that it reminds you of a prisoner's dilemma what were you getting at with that comment yeah. Um, well, it, it was the the thought that uh, you know in the prisoner's dilemma, the the prisoners uh, cannot talk to each other, and then they have to make a decision um, if to make the if they both say the same thing, um, they go out free both. But if they if they say the, the different things, they they'll sit in jail. And uh, but you don't know what the other is going to say. So so you're you're yeah sort of forced to. Uh, to say uh, to not trust the other, and uh, if if they would, they would both win and go out free, and that's the same in the markets. If uh, the sellers would uh, be able to communicate to each other and and um, and and decide not to sell for a uh, not to sell to sell at all, or if they must sell for a much higher price, then uh, the price would instantly go higher. So the yeah the fact. The, the the very act of selling is is influencing the price, uh, and 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 the fact that you're punching in a low number because you know if if you punch in a, a too high a number then then um, the trade won't go through and, and you won't sell it, so so you punch in a low number. But if you if you would communicate with all the other sellers like like okay right now we're we're not selling below hundred k for example. Then the price would instantly go to that hundred k. But of course, um, yeah, sellers cannot communicate with each other, so they're sort of caught into the going rate and not not going too far from the um, the the current uh, sell price. But yeah, it, it the the fact that you can influence it, that you that you if every the theoretical uh, situation that if everybody if every seller would decide i will not sell below 100k then the price would be 100k instantly uh, yeah i was like that thought yeah of course and i i guess at the end of the day that is a theoretical obviously because there'll be some people out there because you know some emergency has happened they have to sell some etc but as an idea yeah and i mean arguably that could apply on the upside and on the downside um and also i wonder the extent to which the existence of modeling out there that people are trying to it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that people think oh okay 100k well that's quote unquote fair value uh or that that they're thinking of it in that way uh do you believe that any of your modeling is influencing the behavior of market participants out there no it no not really not really i'm by now, I'm I'm a pretty large account, but but not large enough to move markets. In fact, I could, I think I had more impact on the markets when markets were uh, uh, a bit smaller, like uh, two or two years ago or something. But uh, no, I, and I think it's it's um, 
much more fund- fundamental than just uh, an opinion or a model that that someone uh, that the market follows. I think the, there is uh, greed and fear in people. Uh, that's just human behavior, and that will always be there. So it's very interesting to see that people like to buy Bitcoin when Bitcoin is going up, uh, <laughs> although prices are, of course, a lot higher than when when Bitcoin went down. But when, when Bitcoin goes down, no, nobody wants to buy Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, there, there's also there, there's always greed and fear, um, and and you can model that, right? You can you can model that, and and also there is um, uh, momentum in the markets. That that's one of the basic thing in in, in all markets, uh, also equity markets, bond markets, etc. That once a trend starts. Um, there, there is momentum in that it, it goes goes on and on. And that could be because there's a large buyer uh, in, in the market that, that cannot buy um, the exposure they want in, in one day or one week. So they need multiple weeks or months to, to build the exposure. Um, and and once, yeah, once that, that gets going, then, then it's, it, it will continue. And so the momentum is a very real thing in markets, which, of course, all the technical analysis is, is based, or a lot of technical analysis is based on. Um, and then the, the really fundamental things for, for stocks, uh, modeling um, the uh, cash flows, the dividend flows, is, is a very real thing for, for derivatives markets, for, for example, options. Which, which is basically a volatility market. Modeling volatility is is very real and very yeah, fundamental. It doesn't change. Yeah, and I think the momentum is a really strong point. And I think, you know, I've mentioned this before, I'm sure many others have, that humans are naturally momentum chasing. So we see the thing going up and we all run in. Everyone's running in to buy it. And then we see it going down and then we're overly bearish. And so I think that is probably the most... I think that might, might just be one of the best arguments against the super cycle, as it were, happening this time. But I'm curious, I'm sure listeners are curious to get your thoughts. I think you are also anti, well, not anti, but as in you think it's not the likely scenario. Do you want to explain, uh, I guess, how how are you thinking about this idea of the super cycle, this idea that it's not going to be like a big drawdown or that, you know, it might the idea of four-year cycles might be gone? How do you think about that idea? Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're very right that uh, the, the greed and fear is something that 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 maybe is the the best argument against the super cycle because that will not go away. Um, and and indeed, I think we will not uh, have a, we will not have a super cycle this uh, halving cycle. So uh, next year or, or until uh, 2024 before before next halving, um, because. Because of uh, greed and fear, because there will be FOMO. Um, once we hit the hundred thousand, maybe we will go down a little bit. But but once we really have crossed that hundred thousand uh, line, then then I think the FOMO will set in, and and people will just buy Bitcoin, and Bitcoin will go up to uh, unimaginable levels. But but then people, some people will start to sell. They they they're sitting on a huge profit, and they want to see some of it. Um, in, in dollars, or uh, they get scared, or something happens that that scares the whole uh, the whole lot, and then and then we go south again, and then that, that will feed on each other on itself the fear, and and we'll have momentum um, to the downside, uh, going to the next bottom. I, I think that's 
yeah, something in, in markets that is so fundamental that will not go away. That having said, um, we, the, most people that are proponents of the super cycle are uh, technical people or have some experience in, in investing in tech companies like Google and Amazon. And what we've seen in those prices is that there is a lot of volatility in the beginning after the IPO uh, because there's a lot of uncertainty about the um, company uh, succeeding and adoption for the product kicking in. But once the adoption kicks in, uh, it goes it goes up in an almost straight line with some volatility, but not the the volatility uh, you see after the IPO. So, so I think a lot of tech investors have that mental picture, and they think Bitcoin will do the same thing. I I, I don't think that is true, um, because I don't think Bitcoin is a company like Google and 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 Amazon. I think um, the uh, volatility in Bitcoin. Uh, which has been very high and still is very high. If you look at option prices, uh, the implied volatility is around 100%, so between 90 and 100%, which is huge. That's that's <laughs> You can't see that in any other market. So a lot of risk slash volatility in Bitcoin market. And that is also, of course, where the, uh, the return is coming from. You cannot have a high return without uh, the volatility. So I think... It's something, uh, so, so volatility is something that is not found in in any other markets anymore in the, in, in the same way it, it used to be. So for example, equity markets seems to be going, they, they seem to be going up uh, without any volatility, um, which is also logical because of an, all the money printing. Same for uh, real estate prices, up, up, up. Um, but uh, the volatility has to go somewhere. The risk has to go somewhere. And central banks cannot print the risk away. So we're seeing the risk uh, sort of coming back in a concentrated way in, in Bitcoin. That's how, how I see it. And that's why we have this, this yeah, extremely high returns as well. If you can stomach this volatility, um, yeah, you can reap the profits of the... Uh, uh, what is it? Two hundred percent returns, almost uh, on average, uh, for Bitcoin annually. So yeah, I, th- I think the super cycle is very interesting com- concept, but it's yeah, the, the greed and fear stands uh, in, in between. And what I do see, by the way, is that um, once Bitcoin um, hits a stock to flow, a, a scarcity level of of yeah, higher than than anything else on the planet, higher than than uh, real estate, with a stock to flow ratio of hundred. Uh, once we hit that, and, and Bitcoin becomes the most scarce asset in the uh, on the planet, I think that could be the moment when hyper Bitcoinization or the super cycle will kick in, in in a way that yeah, it's it's so much better than real estate and gold and and, and all the other assets that that everybody will buy it and and it will probably be the de facto money at that time um so 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 we'll probably if you look at the for example the stock to flow model at the moment it it uses bitcoin prices uh expressed in dollars because dollar is the uh world reserve currency and everything is expressed in dollars but once bitcoin hit that hits that 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 hundred uh stock to flow ratio of hundred and, and becomes the best 
money in fact in the world i guess uh, it's time to price everything in bitcoin and um and the role of the dollar will 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 be, will be less at that time but but that that's after the next halving and probably not before 2025 26 or something uh, but i could see a hyper bitcoinization in that sense a, a super cycle in that sense that bitcoin becomes the de facto money and the denominator of all things valuable um, I could see that, but later on. Yeah, I see. So you see it more like not this cycle, but potentially next. But then what about this idea that maybe four-year cycles are gone? And actually, we might still have cycles up and down, but just not four-year ones. That I guess now to spell out or flesh out that argument, it might be that, okay, the number of new coins coming in now is not that big of a deal. And it's actually more about what the... OG or older hodlers or longer time hodlers are doing with their stack than it is about the incoming new coins that are coming in as part of the block subsidy every 10 minutes. What's your view on that? Yeah, I, I don't agree with that view. I think that's a, I, I understand the view as in uh, and, and most technical people are having that view. And, and indeed the uh, the uh, amount of, of new bitcoins or the percentage of new bitcoins is, is getting less and less and less of a factor in the market. Uh, but I, I don't think that is the, you have to look at it from the other way. And that's also um, in line with stock to flow view of things that you have to view it like an investor. An investor has uh, alternative investments, gold, real estate, equities, etc., and Bitcoin. And the fact that when Bitcoin halves, it's it's the the stock to flow ratio will double, and it will put Bitcoin well next to um, next to real estate uh, by then, and, and and next to gold by now. So people are really comparing it to gold right now because it's as scarce and as gold. That's that's how I view it. So you, the fact that it's only if a cup. Yeah, uh, very little new Bitcoins coming in the market and less and less, by the way, every halving. And that the impact, for example, of exchanges selling their their fees is bigger than that or miners uh, not even selling, but but uh, being fully funded through uh, their shareholders and not 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 having to sell their coins for, for electricity costs. Th those are all um, yeah maybe bigger factors in the market. I look at it from the other way, so from the investor way. They're, they're just counting for scarce uh, assets. And right now, Bitcoin is comparable to gold, and it will be comparable to real estate. And that will, that will be a big change in the eye of the investor. Back to the show in a moment. Now, if you're looking to start self-custodying your Bitcoin, or you want to upgrade your Bitcoin hardware, look at the cold card by coinkite.com. Coinkite are a long-standing player in the Bitcoin industry and in recent years they've been focusing on hardware. So the cold card is like a little calculator-sized device. You can use it to generate private keys, store private keys, use it essentially to hold your Bitcoin or to send Bitcoin. Now you can use it easily by directly plugging it into your computer if you're a beginner or if you're intermediate or advanced you can use the micro SD card option and learn how to do it in an air-gapped way with a PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transaction. The cold card offers all sorts of features you can use it single signature or as part of a multi-signature with easily with wallets like spectre sparrow or electrum so go to coinkite.com use the code lavera to order yours with a discount brains are a bitcoin mining company through and through and they are working on various projects that support 
Bitcoin mining. That includes Brains OS Plus, which is firmware that can be installed on ASICs. They run Slush Pool, which is the first Bitcoin mining pool, and they're pushing forward adoption on Stratum V2, which is a next generation pooled mining protocol. So with Brains OS Plus, this is aftermarket custom firmware. You can install this on your ASIC and use the main feature, which is auto-tuning, optimizing your performance to get you more hash rate for your electricity bill. So if you want more sats for your buck, make sure you check out Brains OS Plus. And don't forget that they also run Slush Pool, the oldest Bitcoin mining pool, which recently celebrated its 11th birthday. Now, they've got all sorts of features on this side as well. They've got ultra-flexible payouts that can be either time-based or threshold-based. You can also use the feature of paying 0% pool fees by running Brains OS Plus and pointing your hash rate to Slush Pool. So if you're interested to find out more, go to brains.com. That's brains with two eyes. As the price of Bitcoin goes up, it's time to think about security. And with Unchained Capital, you can create a multi-signature vault. So with Bitcoin security, we want to remove single points of failure. And this can be an exchange. It could be a single hardware wallet that you haven't backed up. There's all sorts of ways that we could fail in our security. And with Unchained Capital, you can create a vault, a two of three vault, where you hold two keys separately and put them in different locations. And Unchained holds the third key and they can countersign for you if you need that. Now you can actually set this up and create the vault for free. There will be a fee if Unchained have to countersign for you. Now, if you need assistance, there's a concierge onboarding program where they will ship you hardware wallets and teach you how to do this, even if you've never held your keys before. So if that's appealing to you, go to unchained.com, select the concierge onboarding program, use the code Levera for a discount there. Now back to the show with plan B. So I guess historically, if we were to look at it, there were times where there was essentially a multi-year bear cycle. So 2014 and 15 and part of 2016. And then obviously 2017 was a big run up. And then you could you could arguably say 2018 and maybe 2019 and 2020 was sort of like bear-ish years. And then obviously this year, 2021, has been a huge uh, big bull run. And I guess the end of 2020 was a big, well, was a big bull run as well. So if we were to see like are you essentially arguing then that we could see a similar thing happen that we may see a, a huge huge momentum come in and then again uh the cycle turns at some point and we have potentially a multi-year bear again before the next bull run yes uh and i don't know if it's multi multiple year it could I, all the bulls and bear markets are different always they're never exactly the same but yeah i think we we go up for, uh, yeah, the, the bull run isn't uh, finished yet. And um, I will go uh, beyond the 100K level towards, I mean, uh, 200, 300. You know, in, in, in last bull markets, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the, the Bitcoin price went up uh, 2x or 3x or, or sometimes even more above the stock to flow levels so yeah we could we could see 300k bitcoin that 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 would not surprise me but after after the next all-time high we will uh fear will kick in and we will see lower bitcoin price and i i guess that will lead to uh there will be a trigger that that triggers that fear and that downward movement and that could be uh, a government thing it's mostly a government thing that could be uh it could be anything, but yeah, I wouldn't be super. But it could also be just a very short uh, bear market this time, uh, only half a year or one year. Um, 
it, it, it doesn't have to be multiple year, but yeah, it could be, it could be that 2022 is a, a bull year, 2020, oh, I'm sorry, 2022 is a bull year, so next year, another, another bull run, uh, 2023 is a bear market, 2024 is, we'll stay in the bear market, and then 2025 will go up again, that, I wouldn't see, be surprised to see that happening like that. I see, yeah, and so the way I'm, I'm seeing it or thinking about it is that, to, as we were saying, this whole momentum chasing idea that on the way up, there's all these people who are chasing the, you know, they're seeing the number go up and they haven't really studied this thing. And then eventually, as it turns, we fall to the level of the quote unquote DCA army or the Bitcoin savings plan. That sort of is the level who are holding the support. So I guess maybe that's where the maybe the super cycle people are saying essentially that there's going to be such a phase shift or such a step change in the way people think about Bitcoin that there will just be all these new people who are accumulating Bitcoin. And therefore, that's why this kind of idea that the super cycle is going to happen and therefore it, it won't be a huge, huge drawdowns coming because it'll just be steady, continual adoption. So I'm wondering your reaction on that. Yeah, I, I hope that were true. But um that's how it felt last uh, <laughs> last two uh, bull markets as well. Like, oh, this time it's different, and and uh, we won't go down anymore. And and that's why you have to protect. I think you have to protect yourself against that feeling, because I know how that feels. Uh, you think it will go to a million straight up, but uh, yeah. But I like the, your argument. It's the the DCA army or the the. the the, the hotlers, the army of hotlers that's constantly adding and not selling. Uh, you could, for example, see the 200-week moving average. That's a four-year moving average. Um, that go, that's a, an indicator, technical indicator that that sort of yeah measures the the average price of the last four years, and um, and that that measure goes up. Uh, it go, always goes up. It never goes down. And, uh, and Bitcoin uh, monthly closes never fall below that 200-week moving average line. So it's a very interesting indicator. Um, and, and I guess that's indeed the, that's how I long-term would, would see Bitcoin. Uh, it always goes up and, uh, and there's some, a lot of volatility above that 200-week moving average, which you should ignore. <laughs> and... Uh, and and it goes up in in the long term. It all goes up, but it 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 already did that right last last ten years. And I think next ten years, yeah, it could be like that. Um, not necessarily an an acceleration of that two hundred week moving average. So the, uh, the, which would be the case in the if there were a super cycle. Yeah. So I wanted to turn now to the question of evaluation of these models because I think there's. A lot of back and forth people are saying there's some people out there who are saying no it's s2f modeling is dead and there are others who say no it's still on track how do you think about that how do you think the model should be assessed and i remember uh one of our earlier conversations you were saying uh, put in short terms in simple terms if bitcoin is not over 100k by the end of this year 2021 that you would then say okay that model is probably failed are you do you still hold that view or has your view shifted here yeah, and, that, and that's a bit of a short uh, a measure, or a bit of a simple measure. But yeah, I, I still hold that view. Uh, I think Stock to Flow is tracking very well since it was published in uh, March 2019 uh, when Bitcoin was uh, uh, below uh, 4,000. <coughs> so it's, 
so it uh, yeah it, it tracked really well it, it mainly predicted that the uh, the halving would trigger another uh, was not priced in and would trigger another bull run which we saw uh, we're now sitting at uh, well, a bit below 60 what is it 57 or something uh, thousand so um, if you look at the charts for example this um, bot of bitch Dean um, which can be found on Twitter. It's a stock to flow multiple called S2F multiple, and it tracks the uh, performance of the model uh, on a daily basis. Uh, you can you can see that it tracks very well um, within uh, most of the time within a one standard deviation band, and um, and and it went a little below the one standard deviation uh, band into the two standard deviations band uh, lately, but but came came back up from there, and we're now smack back in the in the one standard deviation band so and and going towards 100k so yeah i i think it tracked well as as advertised um and i'm very yeah even i am a bit amazed by that because the model should not work at all in fact right the efficient market hypothesis you cannot model the market um, but uh, but I think the the proof of the pudding, the real um, well victory lap or how do you call that is is when we we cross that hundred k uh, barrier. I guess that's the the thing. And I, I guess it's good to explain that the, the when when you read the article, uh, when you see how the model is made, it's just a normal regression uh, analysis. It's, it's nothing spectacular, nothing exotic. It's very very simple, one input variable. Um, but what it basically says it's after the the 2020 halving the price level should be on average for that that halving period so until 2024 should on average be a hundred thousand dollars um so that is the real um proof or validation if you will if 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 we track uh, if, if the data still fits that very simple linear regression then it's all okay. Um, but since technical analysis uh, people somehow don't don't really understand the average uh, linear regression thing and are really th- uh, used to thinking levels and price targets, I yeah, shouldn't say dump that down, but I, I simplified that into, uh, yeah, well, if, if, if it should... If if it uh, should be 100k on average, then well, one and a half year into the halving cycle, so one and a half year after the last uh, halving, it should at least cross that average of 100k, because otherwise it will be very difficult to be uh, 100k on average. We should spend a lot of time above 100k to even make that average. So yeah, it, at some point we should cross that line, and I guess. Historically, looking to uh, uh, last two bull runs, 2017 and 2013, um, that point is well about one and a half years after the halving. So that's how I came up with uh, end of 2021. It should be above 100k, which is very short and snappy, and um, and and technical analysis people understand it. So, so it's it's not <laughs> so. That, so it's really the average that we should be looking at, but the 100K is, well, short and, 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 and simple. I see. So just to summarize then, the idea is, let's say we're looking at the 
stock to flow model, the idea then is that the price of Bitcoin should be, we can sort of say oscillating around 100K, just as an example. And so the simplified version that you gave was that the price should at least cross 100K by the end of this year. And you said that, I think, last year. And so you're also thinking of that as like a average over the cycle. So another, I guess, important thing to note is that Bitcoin can really move a lot in a short period of time. So it could very well spend most of the year well under 100K and then just at the end uh, run really high. Or I guess the other aspect would be if the model, or let's say if the price of Bitcoin goes you know, well over 100K next year, then it can spend also a lot of the time above 100K. So uh, I'm curious then, are you, is that how you're seeing it? Are you just essentially seeing it like there could just be really big price moves towards the end of this year or start of next year? Yeah. Well, if you go for the super cycle, it could be like that, right? We could be below 100K and then maybe a half next year uh, go to uh, to a million and spend and and beyond and then still hit that 100k average uh, but i don't <laughs> if theoretically that could be but that's that's not what i expect uh, but yeah it, it, so basically you can only say uh until next halving really what but uh if the model is is if the 100k average is is, is reached but uh yeah i think uh, I, I think on average that should be uh, and and there's another argument by the way against that uh, we spend, for example, three years below 100k, and the last year far above 100k, maybe maybe at a million or something. And that is the fact that if you look at the stock-to-flow model, and I, and I find that very important, it then the Bitcoin price is above and below the model value each and every year. So it really oscillates, like you call that, uh, uh, around that 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 model line. It really stays close to the model line and that's a very important thing and you know that was a whole co-integration discussion discussion when the model came out in 2019 which is very interesting um and that sort of hit on that on that uh, fact that the bitcoin price stays very close to the model and there were also some sorts of uh, formal tests for that co- possible co-integration which in the end we could not we could not apply because stock to flow is not a random variable but but it's a very, very important thing, nevertheless, that, in my opinion, that the price of Bitcoin goes is below and above the model line each and every year last ten years. Yeah, right. So, in your point of view, that's not that should not be seen as like a coincidental thing or a not not relevant fact for you in your in your mind. That's quite an important no. point. Just yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it means that, that we, we should not stay below 100K, for example, uh, next year, and then shoot up to a million in 2023 uh, and make that, and still make that that, uh, that average of uh, 100K. Because we should, we, yeah, well, we should go above 100 this year, but at least we must, if we don't go above 100K next year, then, then for sure the model uh, failed yeah. in my eye. I see. Uh, yeah. And... So there's been a lot of talk around, you know, CAGR, right? Compound annual growth rate. And so the, that 200 number gets thrown around. Uh, and as, as we speak today, as an example, the 10-year version of that number, it's about 170%. Although, of course, I, you know, I think it's only fair to say that that 
should taper down over time. And it's not maybe it's not fair to say it's going to be two hundred percent every year going forward because it's just not going to sustain that. I think it's probably more like like my friend Hass says, something in that sixty to seventy percent range is what we might realistically see for the next coming years, and then it will taper down over time, and then eventually the model has to fail, as as you know, I think you've mentioned as well. What's your thought on that idea? Like this idea that it has to taper down and that eventually the model has fa- will, would have to fail. Yeah. What, 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 and how would you know? Well, th- those are two points. Uh, so first, uh, the f- indeed, it's, it's um, the annual rate, if you look at the, the last 10 years of Bitcoin, is, is 170% uh, growth or, or profit. And, and that is high, of course. And it's a lot higher than, than you would expect from the, for example, capital asset pricing model. That's a Nobel Prize winning uh, model that, despite all its critics, is, is still used a lot uh, in, in the financial markets, so where you can look at assets from a risk and return uh, point of view. So given uh, the risk of some asset, the volatility of some asset, there should be a return that, that, uh, that sort of make, makes up for that risk. And uh, the risk of Bitcoin is high, but the return is much higher. And, uh, you know, the well, I mentioned the, the risk, the volatility of Bitcoin is, if you look at option prices, implied volatility, it's it's about 100%, but the return is 170%. So the return is higher than the volatility. And that is very rare to see in the market. So, so all other assets, bonds, gold, equities, real estate, all other assets have... Uh, returns that are lower than the volatility and uh, or the drawdown depending how you measure risk but uh, and that's a very distinct thing from 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 bitcoins it's it, it, technically it means the sharp ratio is higher than one so the the sharp ratio is the return divided by the uh, volatility the, the risk so it's uh, 170 divided by 100 for um, for bitcoin um and and that is very distinct, and I don't know if that will fall. Actually, I think the current central bank policies and the weird stuff we're seeing with the money printing uh, and even negative interest rates in the part of the world where I live is yeah putting financial markets upside down and making price discovery almost impossible. And and you cannot kill risk. You can, it it seems like no company is allowed to go bust. Uh, defaults are, are are not allowed because the central bank will come in and save the bank or save the uh, airliners or whatever. The, and 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 the same we're seeing right now with the whole COVID. People are not allowed to die, and we're yeah doing everything to uh, even the most stupid things to uh, to prevent it. But the thing I'm, I'm I'm getting at is that that risk is not going away because because uh, the government say it's going away. That risk, especially in financial markets, just goes somewhere else. And I have the feeling that Bitcoin is the new frontier, the uh, last place in the world, if you will, where risk and and return can be truly uh, present. And 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 yeah, where where true price discovery can can take place. And that's a very fundamental thing. Very very yeah, new new way of looking, but. So the whole question then boils down to risk. Is, is risk uh, going to uh, go away for Bitcoin? Because if that is the case, yeah. yeah, well, then the returns will come down gradually from 170% to 100% to maybe 60 which would be in line with other assets. But I don't know about that. 
that's that's not what I see at the moment. Um, it could also be that the very distinct exponential trends and the non-normal uh, distribution of returns of Bitcoin, very, very much following power law uh, distributions, that that characteristic stays for Bitcoin. I'm also curious to ask around Bitcoin and how it fares during a crash. So as an example, people might say during March 2020, everyone was trying to go to USD cash, right? So that's where basically a lot of things all went down. And obviously Bitcoin at that time, I think it was maybe nine or 10,000 and it crashed to maybe three or 4,000, something roughly like that. Um, and so the argument might be, now again, I'm obviously uh, more orange-pilled and Bitcoin huddling myself, but hypothetically, people might argue, look, people have US dollar denominated debts or obligations. They need to make rent or payroll or various other obligations and that's in usd so that's why there's this big sell down and so i guess that's the question that people might be thinking is during a big crash during a big financial crisis could that also happen to bitcoin or do you actually believe and maybe that's like the bull argument that people are eventually going to see more safety in sats than they do in the us dollar what's your reflection or thought of thought on that uh, yeah that that would be nice it, it, but indeed 20 uh, march 2020 the covid uh, crisis uh, everything went down right the bond market the equity markets the uh, and even bitcoin went went down with so people have to sell everything because they they lose their job or their company is in bad 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 shape they need money and indeed they need the money in in, in dollars or, or or other fiat and they need to sell their assets. So I, I guess, yeah, that sort of stays. On the other hand, like you say, uh, personally, when I, when I sell Bitcoin, then I have this this cash on, on my bank balance sheet, on my, on my bank. And yeah, it feels like more risky than having it in Bitcoin. Because yeah, the, the, the inflation is eating the uh, purchasing power uh, of my euros away. The banks can can block the account, freeze the account, can do everything with the account. It's, yeah, it's much better feeling to uh, to have it in Bitcoin and going up all the time instead of uh, having it in fiat. So so I'm personally selling only what I need for for um, for food and 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 stuff, but but not more than that. So I yeah I could see, but but the the counter argument of course is that. If you keep it in in Bitcoin, you should be okay and at ease with all the volatility in fiat terms uh, of your stash, right? That's uh, <laughs> you should be okay to see it uh, half uh, in in in, uh, in dollar terms, and um, like we saw in May and June when the Chinese ban uh, was there. Uh, and if that's okay, then then. Because you know that it, it, it on average it, it will uh, jump back again, and on average there will be this 170 percent uh, growth rate uh, annually. Then um, this is the most perfect uh, investment there is. So yeah, I'm also very hardcore in that I'm okay with the volatility and and, and keep it in Bitcoin rather than uh, turning it to cash. But but in these very distinct crisis situations like March 2020. Some people don't have a choice; they have to sell, and uh, and and of course, leverage is playing a part here as well. So, uh, uh, 
that one of the reasons that there was a big sell-off in Bitcoin, a very steep sell-off, by the way, in Bitcoin in March 2020 was because of all the leverage, because of all the leverage longs that were killed and liquidated. Uh, and those people have their stop losses uh, put in, see the price go against them, go, go down, and they don't want to sell because they hope, they, they know it will go back up again, but the exchange will sell it for them. They will be liquidated by the exchange. And uh, yeah, <laughs> there's so much leverage in Bitcoin, which I think is very stupid um, for people to do, to, to do naked, naked uh, longs or, or shorts. Uh, without having the underlying, so I think, yeah, that example, that, yeah, yeah, that makes I think it worse. Coming back to what we were saying earlier around momentum and how people are thinking when they're in the euphoria phase of the bull run, that's when a lot of people are leave it up, and so that's typically when, uh, you know, you can see these big, big deleveraging moments where the price comes down a lot, and so at least historically, the way it sort of moves it's almost like a two steps forward one step back dance and so it kind of comes up a bit and then back and then comes up again and back and so but eventually that dance is over and it's the end of the it's the end of that kind of uh overarching cycle and so at that time and to use an example of 2017 the 20k was the top right but what happened is after that drop down to say 14k or whatever people were still wondering well hang on are we going to do another two steps up or is that it for this you know round and it took some time for them to know oh yeah actually we are done for this time and we're going to have to wait until the next big overall cycle but in the minds of people out there they might still be confused because you're not clear whether that was the top or whether we're still about to go back up again. Yeah, and it's always interesting uh, to go back uh, to in time and and look how you felt uh, in March 2020. Did you were you close to selling or did did, did didn't you feel anything? <laughs> we trying to just stack hard. Switch yeah. off the monitor and go sailing or running. Yeah, yeah, and that's by the way why I say when the price goes down, I just switch off the monitors. I I, I do a tweet like I'm sailing or I'm running because that's that's really what I'm doing then. I'm just, I'm just go uh, switch off the monitors and go away from the from the desk and and into nature to uh <laughs> to to not have to look at the, the yeah cuz cuz you might you might be overcome by fear and sell and, <laughs> and you have to protect yourself against that if 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 you have the confidence and and opportunity of course to set it out yeah. and so this whole conversation around macro and bitcoin and broader conversations around nation states and their adoption of Bitcoin or their response to Bitcoin. I'm curious around your thoughts there. Do you see this like there will be nation state level mining or do you think it makes more sense for them to simply accumulate without mining and either purchase or even print and purchase? What kind of adoption do you see making sense for nation states? Yeah, I I, I think they'll have the same uh, decision to make that all of us have made individually uh, uh, earlier on and that investors have to do uh, and, and, and institutional investors have to do right now to be to buy Bitcoin now would mean you're you're one of the first people or, or countries to do it like El Salvador did and they get all the f- the the flag for it and also all the compliments but from the traditional world and, and the IMF for example they get the flag so so yeah, it's it's a first mover advantage, but it's also um, a first mover uh, who gets all the critics. So, 
Yeah, you have to have balls. You have to have probably uh, have to have a small com- uh, uh, country with a uh, a leader that can that can do uh, such a change, such a big change. And and but I guess it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense because the alternative is to be uh, rescued by the IMF continuously <laughs> and eternally uh, for, for smaller companies, but also for, yeah. For, for the bigger companies, the central banks play such a large role at the moment. They they save all the banks in, in 2008. They saved all the companies after COVID, uh, March 2020. It seems that, that even the very big countries like US and, and all the countries in Europe cannot operate without the, uh, the money printing of the central bank. So, yeah, um, it's either that or... Or hatch a little bit in, in, into uh, hard assets like like Bitcoin or gold or, well, I find it very interesting what the Chinese are doing at the moment. So they're buying. They they, they of course have a lot of the U.S. debt, the, a lot of the U.S. treasuries. And if if something were to happen with the U.S. dollar, as in high hyperinflation or um, a debt uh, rescheduling, then of course the Chinese treasuries would be hit. And what you see is that. Chinese are buying a lot of stuff in real stuff, right? The gold mines in Africa, cobalt mines, all the commodity mines in Africa, all the uh, strategic important uh, infrastructure like harbors in the Middle East and uh, Europe and even in the, in the U.S. So it's it's very interesting to see the, uh, the Chinese government buy real stuff, uh, hard assets, and of course... The hardest asset, in my view, would be uh, Bitcoin, uh, because it's, it's it's better than gold, scarcer than gold in in a few years, and and more portable, more divisible. It's it, it's thermodynamically the best thing there is, and and some governments will figure that out, like El Salvador, um, which is of course a small country, but I guess that will that will see some 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 other countries following that up, and then it becomes easier and easier for other countries to adopt, because. They're not the first mover yeah. anymore, but uh, I'm quite sure some countries are inve- are analyzing it now and are, are making plans to uh, to add or to add Bitcoin to the reserves or switch to legal tender, which which El Salvador did, uh, which is a very bolsy move. But but yeah, it it I think it it brings great great uh, wealth to uh, to a yeah. country and. But it is and high speaking risk. of El Salvador, so they have made Bitcoin legal tender, and you, I'm sure you've seen the recent announcement about Bitcoin City and the use of a specially structured bond that will actually be giving out Bitcoin dividend. So I'm curious if you had a chance to look at that Bitcoin City idea and Bitcoin bonds, uh, and whether you have any reactions to it or any analysis you've looked at. Yeah, I didn't look at the city bond as much, but I did look at the volcano bond. Maybe that's the same thing, but uh, the mining... Uh... I, th- I think they are one and the same. Ah, okay, yeah. okay. So yeah, the, the mining bonds are very interesting. And it's, uh, of course, mining is a very profitable thing. And, and, and giving notes or, or uh, bonds uh, on that operation is, is a very, a, a, yeah, a very logical thing to do with, with uh, Blockstream, of course, uh, doing that already with uh, the notes, the, the Blockstream mining notes, um, where you can participate in an otherwise uh, very capital intensive, uh, a very, very large capital investment. You can now 
buy small parts of that, of that investment and still earn uh, earn that that uh, quite huge uh, return. So yeah, I think that's a very logical, very nice thing to do, and a, a method of making it accessible to uh, traditional investors because bonds and notes are they have ISIN numbers. They are uh, they can be put in the uh, investment administration systems uh, just like a normal bond and uh, or or, or uh, shares. And it's, yeah, it's a very, very smart thing to do. I think we'll see a lot more of that. Yeah, yeah to your point about uh, easy coding and putting into the system, it's crazy how much inertia there is. So I recall at the announcement, uh, President Bekele and Samson Mao of Blockstream were saying it would be, the code would be EBB1, right? And that was the uh, uh, El Salvador Bitcoin bond one. And they, I think that'd be the first of uh, a range of, yeah. of these to come. So it it might just be that it makes it accessible to people who are otherwise stuck in investing in the more traditional world. And potentially even for the retail investors, there might be a reason for them if they are getting a permanent residency in El Salvador with a track to citizenship. Um, but I, I guess that is the question for some people because for many people it might just be like, well, I could just be holding Bitcoin. Why do I want to hold this? And so I guess they would have to think about why they would want to do that and in some cases it might be access in some cases it might be they want the permanent residency it might be they want to retain some exposure to bitcoin as opposed to uh buying uh property or they they might want some level of bitcoin exposure so i guess those are some ideas that i'm thinking of do you have any uh, anything to add there or do you yeah. uh agree disagree yeah, no i i agree and and of course the the bonds and the, and the, and the mining notes that those have very different risk profiles than bitcoin they don't drop 50 percent uh in, in in a week for example like bitcoin um so the return would be a little bit less but the risk is is much less than bitcoin and uh, but still uh and, and especially for traditional investors that that are bit scared of the volatility of bitcoin which which is logical i mean 100 percent volatility is, is just too much for for all banks and insurance uh, companies but uh yeah so the 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 risk uh, risk return profile is, is is different than bitcoin so it makes a nice very nice addition to uh to to, to bitcoin the asset i see yeah so in my mind i'm sort of thinking of that tension or the clash because i'm sure some listeners are like screw that why are you buying why are you talking about mining bitcoin mining stocks or bitcoin mining notes and bitcoin bonds like just hold bitcoin but on the other hand it's the right tool for the job or for the right person right so of course the retail highly convicted stacker and hodler is thinking no i just want to hold sats i just want to hold bitcoin but then maybe some of the institutional investors or other people who are thinking well you know, as an example, they might be buying MicroStrategy because they want Bitcoin exposure and it's easy for them. Or they might be buying Grayscale or they might be yeah. you know, doing the GBTC thing. Or they might be looking at ways to get exposure by holding the mining stocks or by holding the mining node. Or in this case, the Bitcoin bond because they're not at the level yet of being able to sustain or take that volatility of just simply holding Bitcoin. So I guess that's maybe... It an exploration for the different kinds of people and the different kinds of reasons that people would yeah. buy these different things. Yeah, yeah. And, and and of course, we have fallen in love with Bitcoin. And, and Bitcoin is so much more than an asset. It's a way of living. It's it's a culture. It's, it's a, yeah, we, we, a revolution, and a new geopolitical thing. Uh, it, it's much more that. But an investor, of course, a traditional investor, he's very, in, yeah, 
and and a big institutional investor, he doesn't mind what what he's investing is. He he looks at all the investments at the same through the same scope, and that uh, that is risk return. So if it's better in risk return terms, and within his mandate, which Bitcoin is not at the moment, but then then it's okay. If it's better, they they go there. If it's yeah, they they they'll add it to the to the portfolio. And uh, but they will never fall in love with Bitcoin like like we do. Yeah, I see. And I guess a similar kind of idea is other vehicles of investing. So there might be other people who are more comfortable with the likes of an ETF. So, of course, while that might not be appropriate for those individuals who want direct exposure, I'm curious your thoughts there. Do the ETFs represent some kind of centralization risk? to Bitcoin if, let's say, all the coins end up in the hands of one big ETF custodian? Or are you looking at it maybe maybe another way to look at it is it's just inevitable. It was coming anyway, yeah. uh, and so it's time to, like, yeah. it, it will just exist alongside the, let's call it, the more open peer-to-peer Bitcoin world. Yeah, it's less peer-to-peer, but I don't see the concentration risk as a big problem or, or um, I see it as a big opportunity, a logical thing. Um, you know, a lot of people, especially through pension funds and, and normal investment schemes, cannot buy Bitcoin because the the asset manager cannot hold the Bitcoin. Their systems are not adapted to, to uh, private keys and or uh, don't have links to custodian services. So... But but they can, they can of course buy futures and uh, in, in in gold in everything and also in Bitcoin so it's very easy way of acquiring some Bitcoin uh, exposure for traditional investors and 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 that's no problem at all also not if it's just a future ETF it's it, it just means that that there is a counterpart that takes the first uh, 10 20 percent annually for. Uh, as a reward for having the spot exposure and and going through the trouble of of, of uh, having the keys and the c- c- custodian uh, services right, uh, but the, but the traditional investors and the ET, the the future ETFs are willing to give that ten percent twenty percent contango premium up and uh, go for the other well one hundred seventy minus minus ten is one hundred sixty percent, which is still a good deal and fits within their systems and and legal framework. So no, I think it's just a normal yeah situation how things should go right yeah so i guess just to summarize some of the other points we were talking about earlier as we were saying around the 100k by the end of the year so essentially with stock to flow model essentially the simple way was hitting 100k before the end of the year but the other way could just be uh sustaining a number well above 100k for let's say the next two years after the end of this year, something like that. Um, and then in terms of the floor model, uh, I think you got, was it two or three months in a row, pretty much on the number, uh, but it might be a bit difficult. As we record this, we are the 20, it's the 25th of November and the price is about 57K, I believe. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head, but I believe your stock, your floor model had it something like 98k meaning we've got about 30k to go <laughs> in uh, what is it seven days or something six seven days yeah I, I won't say we're still in play I guess it's pretty uh, um, yeah almost impossible to reach that goal so I guess that will be a first miss uh, after those three hits um, which which does not impact the stock to flow model 
but it is a signal uh, for me that something is going on because uh, this hasn't happened in the last 10 years. The, the floor model is, is a technical model, like I said, based on price uh, of the last 10 years. And this is just an extrapolation of that. And the fact that it didn't hit the 98 is, in my view, um, yeah, an outlier, a black swan event. I don't know why, by the way. I have no idea where the price uh, went down the uh, last couple of uh, weeks. Could be the Mount Gox uh, thing. Could be just technical, uh, uh, technical issues or um, a consolidation after a big uh, rise. Um, it could be anything, but I, 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 I couldn't point exactly what it is. But it, it, it. My eyes, it's a, it's an outlier. So, in fact, I keep the 135k uh, uh, prediction that the floor model gave for December. I keep that. Uh, I still keep that uh, up, and I ex- expect this as a uh, that the hit or the fail. Sorry, of the 98. If if we fail to hit 98 in five days, probably will. But I see that as an outlier and probably a V-shaped recovery after that. And then if, if that does not happen, so if we also miss the December, yeah, then the floor model is uh, out of the window and uh, and broken. But, but a model, I think that's a good point to make. A model is not broken by the first miss. So uh, uh, a model is never 100% right. It, it can't be because it would not be a model, a simplification of uh, reality. So there will be misses. This is a miss. It's a big miss, but it should be a one-off. If it keeps missing, if it's if it's not continuing, it's uh, nailing the other month's uh, track level, uh, track record. Sorry, then um, yeah, then then it's it's not okay. But missing one month is 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 not a problem for me at least. I see. And, you know, it could be that in the next five days we see a bit of a run-up, so it's not as much of a miss. Who who knows, right? So I guess uh, that's probably a good spot to finish up. Any closing thoughts that you wanted to leave the listeners with, Plan B? Uh, no, well, I, I have got a lot of new followers lately. Uh, it, it's about uh, 400,000 uh, last month and the month before that. So it's, it's really a, a large number of new followers. I would urge those followers to read my articles, the original old articles from 2019, 2020, because a lot of the questions that I get are, are all answered in those um, in those papers. And, and of course, there's a lot of interviews that I did uh, going into depth uh, for for all the questions that that are are asked uh, currently and all the previous podcasts and and interviews are on my website uh, planbtc.com the articles are there as well so especially for the new followers go to that website planbtc.com and you'll find uh, and, and, and make sure you read the articles and listen to one or two of the latest uh, interviews that that would yeah that would certainly give a lot of insight fantastic well pleasure chatting with you and uh thank you for joining me plan b thank you stefan i hope you enjoyed the show make sure you subscribe using your podcatcher application search stefan levera podcast and the show notes are over at stefanlevera.com thanks for listening and i'll see you in the citadels